You're listening to Summit Podcasts, where you'll find sermon audio, weekly discussions of the message, the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and much, much more. Subscribe today at summitpodcast.church and share this episode with your friends. Summit Church, every life made different. So we've been looking at the, the first century church in the book of Acts, Acts chapter one, two, three, and four primarily, and just kind of using that as a parallel track for where we are and what we feel like God wants to do in our lives. And so you can't talk about the book of Acts without talking about the Holy Spirit and who the Holy Spirit is and what he does in our lives. And so if you wanna go a little deeper in the topic, uh, there are a few resources I'd offer up to you. The first is a book by Robert Morris called The God I Never Knew. Another is by John Bevere called The Holy Spirit. Francis Chan wrote a book called The Forgotten God, which is excellent. And then finally, there's a pastor in Oklahoma City named Sam Storms, and he wrote a book called Practicing the Power, uh, which is just uh, a practical guide for what the Holy Spirit looks like in our normal everyday lives. I would also refer you back to a series we did in November of 2021 called Minimized, and we spent a lot of time going in-depth on who the Holy Spirit is and what he does in our lives. And really today, it's gonna be more of an overview, but we went in-depth back in that series. And you can find that on our sermon archives. You can also find that on our podcasts. Anywhere you download podcasts, you can track that down as well, but that's from November of 2021. And then finally, the last resource I'd tell you about is there's a pamphlet we did like this one, and it's available at the Info Center. It's also available uh, on either side of this platform on the speakers that our prayer team has available, but you can grab one of these. But this is just kind of our doctrine on who the Holy Spirit is, what he does in our lives, and, and why he is for you today. And so really, we just wanna take some time and walk through this together. So last weekend, we finished uh, with the day of Pentecost, had arrived, they were all together in one place together in the upper room. The, the Holy Spirit was poured out on them and they began, to, they began to, to preach in an unknown language. So these believers that were filled with the Spirit, they, they come into the streets of Jerusalem and Jerusalem was packed at that time because there was a festival going on. It was a feast called Pentecost that believers, uh, Jews from all over the world came together in Jerusalem for this celebration. So they'd come together and these people are filled with the spirit. They come out and they start preaching in languages that they don't know. And these people say, wait a second, what is happening? Because we're hearing our native language spoken by people that are from Galilee. These people are not very intelligent. They haven't learned this language, but yet they're preaching to us in this language. And they say, what could this mean? And this is where some of the people in the group said, I know they're drunk. That's what this is. They're all drunk. That's, why, that's how you can explain this. So we left off there last week. And, and really this week, I wanna, we'll pick up there in just a moment. But what I wanna do is just share a little bit. I gave you some assigned reading last week because I know you all love homework. And I'm not gonna ask you who actually read because I, I know all of you did except for a couple. And I don't wanna embarrass the people that didn't. So, <laughs> so, uh, I'm gonna start in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse one today. And this is Paul writing to the Corinthians. And in this section of scripture, 12, 13, 14, he's talking about corporate worship and he's talking about the gifts of the spirit. And he says this, now dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. So he's saying this should be a normal part of our everyday life as believers. But he says, I want you to understand what the Holy Spirit does and who he is. Verse seven says, the spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. I want everybody in Indiana and Blairsville both to say, each of us. Each of us. 
What he says is each of us, he's talking to the church, to each of us is given a gift of the Spirit to help each other is what he says. So everybody, this is not reserved for supernatural Christians. It is not just for clergy. It is not just for missionaries. It is not just for people who have a a certain spiritual status. It is for all of us. God wants to give each of us a gift that is good to help each other. The the English Standard Version actually says, uh, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, and I like that. It's for the common good. The Holy Spirit is given to us for the common good. It helps us become who we want, uh, God wants us to be. So last weekend, we talked about this, that, this idea that the, the gifts of the Spirit are given for two primary reasons. Number one, to encourage the church, and number two, to draw unbelievers. And the, the move of the Spirit will do the, at least one of these two things, if not both. This is what he does. This is why he operates, is to bring glory to God by encouraging the church and drawing unbelievers to Christ. So verse eight says this, to one person, the spirit gives the ability to give wise advice. To another, the same spirit gives a message of special knowledge. And some of you are like, wise advice? My uncle, my uncle Larry, he must have that gift because he's wise. I've tried to figure out how to do things and I'll call him and he knows, so he must have that gift. So I wanna help you with this. Just because someone is wise doesn't mean they have the gift of wisdom. The gift of wisdom is a supernatural amount of wisdom from the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing. I feel like I'm relatively intelligent, but there are times that I come up against uh, a brick wall where I just go, I don't know how to fix this. I don't have to solve this problem. I don't know what to do next. And I have to say, hey, Holy Spirit, I need some wisdom. God, I need divine wisdom from heaven because earthly wisdom will not cut this problem. I can't figure this out. And there are people that operate in that gifting that they have a supernatural level of wisdom that is downloaded from the Holy Spirit, from God, that they can't derive on their own just from living life a long time here on earth. It goes on to say, the same spirit gives a message of special knowledge. And some of your Bibles might, the translations might read a word of knowledge. And a word of knowledge, just simply speaking, is knowing something that the Holy Spirit or God tells us that we, otherwise we wouldn't know. So maybe in just a practical sense, maybe you're having a conversation with somebody and somebody's saying something to you and, and God drops something in your heart about them. He reveals it to you about them. And Again, it's not something you should know on your own. It's something, and this isn't like, um, you know, you, you heard from somebody who told you and told you, you got it from the prayer chain at the church. Like, hey, God told me. No, God didn't tell you. The, the prayer chain told you. That doesn't count. That's not a word of knowledge, right? <laughs> if somebody's gossiping, that doesn't count as a word of knowledge. That's not a spiritual gift, okay? Uh, but, but when you're, t- and, and let me just paint this in a practical way. What would this look like? So maybe you're talking to somebody. Maybe you're trying to share your faith with them and, and God drops something in your heart like, hey, they're struggling with this or hey, they, they've got anxiety about or hey, th- th- this relationship is broken or whatever it might be. He just drops it in your heart and you wouldn't say, The Lord has just told me to tell you. Like that's probably not the best way to do that. So the way I would normally approach that is I would say something like this. Hey, I don't know if this makes sense to you or not, but I feel like like God was just kind of showing me that maybe this relationship doesn't actually look like the way you're portraying it. Or or maybe there's some brokenness there. Maybe you're struggling with this. And if that's wrong, I get, I'm, I'm just, but I feel like that's what God said. Does that make sense to you? 
And when you approach it that way, it gives them the opportunity to be able to go, nope. And if they say no, then okay, they don't have to talk about it. But many times in my experience, when God does that, it opens up an opportunity for a conversation. Uh, and so we can normalize what seems mystical to us uh, because this feels weird and what does this look like? But we can normalize this in our everyday life. And this is what Paul was trying to do with the Corinthian church and with the Jerusalem church in Acts. He's trying to help us see how do we live with the Holy Spirit and how does he make our lives better? It goes on to say in verse nine, the Spirit gives great faith to another and to someone else, the Spirit gives the gift of healing. So great faith, we all have a measure of faith according to scripture, um, but, but there is a supernatural faith, kind of like wisdom, we should all have wisdom, but there's a supernatural wisdom from heaven. And there are people in your life, I guarantee you, there are people in your life that you know that maybe you wouldn't say they've got the gift of faith, but when you think about it, they do. That you say, man, if I have a need, this is the person I'm calling, because they know how to pray. They know how to believe in ways that I don't know how to believe. They have faith in ways that I can't have faith. So there's probably people in your life that you know that operate in the gift of faith, but maybe you wouldn't actually identify them that way until we talk about it like this. It says the gift of healing. So there is a gift of healing. We believe healing is for today. I think God is still in the business of healing people. Uh, I believe that he is, he is the greatest healer of all time. There is no doctor, there's no medicine, there's no treatment that matches our God. With that said, I also wanna say this. I believe that medicine and treatment and doctors are common grace for humanity because God loves humans. He loves people so much that he would give us these gifts. And I don't believe these two gifts are mutually exclusive. It's not one or the other. God can't uh, miraculously heal us or we have to go see a doctor. I think those two things can coexist, that, that God can heal us supernaturally, but we should also get a checkup once in a while. Does that make sense to anybody? That, that if, you've got, if you're sick and there's a way for the doctor to be able to treat you, okay, let's go to treatment. Let's let doctors and the common grace that God has given us do what God has allowed it to do. With all that said, I still believe praying for healing shouldn't be a last resort, it should be a first resort. That we go to God first and go, God, you know what, I'll do whatever I need to do to steward my body well, but God, I, I'm gonna ask you to heal me. I'm gonna ask you to heal my eyesight that's messed up. I'm gonna ask you to heal my back that's hurting. I'm gonna ask you to, and God can do it because God is a healing, miraculous God. So there are people that have giftings of healing. And sometimes that gifting has been abused historically, but we see that. And I will say this as well. I think all these gifts are accessible to every believer who's been filled with the Spirit. Um, you might not operate in them regularly, but I think you have access to all of them as a follower of Jesus Christ and as someone who's been filled with the Spirit. Let me go on, verse 10. He has won the power, uh, one person the power to perform miracles. And this is just a broad statement. There are lots of different kinds of miracles, but perform miracles. And another, the ability to prophesy. We get a little weird about prophecy because we think prophecy is something like this. Um, September 17th of 2037, this is going to transpire that we think that's what prophecy is. But just simply stated, prophecy is hearing what God says and saying it to the appropriate people. That's it. Uh, when we look at Old Testament prophets, we think that they were angry and, 
and upset, and sometimes they were, but uh, what we do is we have taken their words and their tone the wrong way because even what they were doing and saying, they were bringing judgment on Israel, okay? They were prophesying about what God was going to do, and, but what they were actually doing was trying to bring the nation of Israel to a place of reconciliation with God. So they were, they were actually doing what we talk about today, the prophetic does. The prophetic operates in our lives so that we can encourage and bring people to be reconciled with God, that we can help people. So when, when we're prophesying, it's just something as simple as hearing what God is saying and saying it to the people that need to hear it. So sometimes we don't call it prophecy, but sometimes um, somebody from our team will come up during a song, during worship, and they will say something. And maybe it sounds like this. Hey, I, I just feel like God is saying this to somebody in the room today. And, and usually it's, it's not real broad. Like, I just feel like there's a human here who is struggling with the various pain of some kind. Is that anybody? Like, you know. <laughs> but what are we doing? Well, it's, it's prophetic. God is giving something to say and we're saying it to the appropriate people. It is that simple. And you can operate in the prophetic in your normal everyday life, in your workplace. What if, what if God gave you something to say to your coworker? What if God dropped something in your heart to share with your, your spouse? It can happen and it's deeply practical. It makes sense in our normal everyday lives. Paul actually wants us to prophesy. First Corinthians 14, one says, let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities the spirit gives. So we should pursue the gifts of the spirit, especially the ability to prophesy. So Paul says, hey, you should love each other really, really well, but you should also seek the special abilities that the Holy Spirit gives. So what happens for many of us is we are obedient for salvation, but then we are disobedient to pursue anything else because we go, we're go I'm going to heaven, what else do I need? And clearly what Paul is saying is, hey, there is something else for you. And that something else is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit because there is more for your life than just making it to heaven. But then he says specifically, the ability to prophesy. You should pursue this because it's helpful in your life in the lives of the people around you. Second part of verse 10 says this, he gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the spirit of God or from another spirit. This is the discerning of spirits. And here's the thing, this sounds really simple because we think we're smarter than we are. So we see something or we hear something and we feel like, oh, I know truth when I see it. But we do not know truth when we see it many times. Our world is deeply, deeply lost. Our eyes have been blinded to truth in many ways. That's why truth is so malleable in the world we live in today. That truth can be something for you and something else for them. And, and what has to happen is we need the spirit of discernment to be able to say, oh yeah, this is really God or this is really not God. Because there's so much in the world saying this is good. And what happens is our hearts align with things. So there's this, this idea of... of um, of basically saying, well, if I like it and it feels good, then it must be good. It must be true. And there's this confirmation bias for us. When we see good things that we want, then we go, that must be God. But it's just not true. And we need people in our lives that have the gift of discernment to be able to say, hey, this might not be the Lord. I'm thankful for, for men and women in my life that I can talk to and that will push back gently on me and go, are you sure that's God? Is God really saying to do that? Is God really saying to go there? Is God really? 
And we need people like that in our lives because every good thing is not a God thing. And we need discernment. We need people to help us. Second part, or third part of that verse 10 says, still another person is given the ability to speak in unknown languages while another is given the ability to interpret what is being said. Now here's a part where we start getting off the rails where people start getting nervous or uncomfortable. And, and, and here's what I want you to understand. There are two parts to this idea. The first is there is a public gift of messages in unknown languages. And the public gift is what Paul's addressing here specifically. Uh, what we see is, the Corinthian church was a mess because they were taking advantage. They were abusing this gift and it was causing problems. So unbelievers would come in and they didn't know what was going on. It was a mess. And so what Paul does is he lays out some ground rules for this specific gifting in the public setting. And what he says is anytime that there is a, a, a public message in an unknown language, it has to be accompanied with an interpretation. And if it doesn't, then it's not really a message from God. That's hardcore. So he was trying to say, and we see this later on in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, that everything should be done in order. And so he's trying to bring some order to this so it's not just chaos. And he's trying to help them see that there are things that are really important, like a message in an unknown language is really good as long as it's accompanied with an interpretation. Okay, this is the public gift. And we think this is important even for today. Now, we don't see this specific gift at work in our congregation in a corporate setting regularly, but it happens from time to time. It's happened a few times since I've been here. Now, we've got the public gift, and now there's what I would call a private grace of the messages in unknown languages. Now, the private grace is different because Paul explores this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and he talks about what this looks like. And what this looks like is when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, and we use this word, the same word we used last week, and the Greek word is baptizo, and as they were baptized in the Spirit in the upper room, uh, the, a fundamental transformation happened in them. They changed. God worked in them. Okay, they were immersed in the spirit of God. So when that happens, we are given access to a heavenly prayer language. And I don't know what it is. Um, I can't identify it. And this is not for public consumption. This is a private prayer to God. And you don't have to take advantage of that. You've got access to it, but you don't have to do it. Nobody makes you do anything. I said that last week. Uh, the Holy Spirit doesn't make you do anything weird if you don't want to do something weird. If you do something weird, it's because you're weird. It's not because of the Holy Spirit. Because God's not weird. God doesn't do weird things, okay? So if you don't want to speak in an unknown language, guess what? You're not gonna. Good news for you. you. You don't have to. But you have to be engaged with the work of God in order to see the work of God happening through us. So what happens is uh, you don't have to access that. Just like, think about this, at your workplace, maybe they've got a retirement matching program at your workplace where they will match up to 3% or five or whatever the number is, but you don't have to do it. And if you don't, if you don't invest, then you won't get any return out of it. And this is the same way. Can you be filled with the spirit without speaking in an unknown language? I don't know. I think scripture shows that maybe you can, um, but, but I don't know. Would I want to? No, because there are some real benefits to being able to pray in the spirit. Um, I will tell you this, Paul says, I pray, I speak in tongues more than any of you. He says that to the Corinthian church. And I will tell you, I pray in the spirit every single day of my life, regularly, because 
It is helpful. And there's a benefit for us. Um, the first thing is this. When we pray in the spirit, it's our spirit praying directly to God, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Um, I don't know what I'm praying. And there's times, to be quite frank with you, I don't know what to pray. But when I pray in the spirit, my spirit is praying to God directly. There's something powerful about that. Second thing we see is this, it actually builds up the person who's praying. So when I pray in the spirit, my spirit is built up and strengthened and encouraged. There's something powerful that happens. Some of the worst seasons of my life, we've been, I've navigated those seasons because I prayed in the spirit. Honestly, I have some hard conversations. I go through some difficult things. I'll, I'll see somebody in a difficult situation and I just feel, oh man, I feel hard, like heavy and what, God, what do I do? And I'll pray in the spirit and it encourages my spirit. The third thing we see is Paul actually wants every believer to have this. He actually says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse five, now I want all of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. He said, I want all of you, all believers, I want doing this, but I want you even more to prophesy because tongues is good for you. It builds you up, but prophecy will build up the entire body. That's what he says. So this is important for us to understand. This is not some some relic of an ancient time that we get to ignore. This is something for us today. And when we leave this on the table, when we don't access everything God's got for us, we are missing out on some of the goodness for us, but some of the impact in our community and world as well. So again, if you wanna go deeper with this series from November 11th and 12th, 2021 called Minimize, you can check that out if you'd like. So let me get back <laughs> That was my introduction. <laughs> Let me get back to Acts chapter two. Acts chapter two, remember where we left off. These people are drunk. That's why they're acting like this, okay? Verse 14, then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully and all of you, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is too early for that. Some of you have been home with kids all summer and you're like, no, nope, 9 a.m. is not too early. I can assure you. Some of you should be so good to our school teachers because you've put up with your kids all summer and now they've got to do it the whole school year. So I'm just saying. But he says, 9 a.m. is too early for that. He says in verse 16, no, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. Then he quotes the book of Joel. And he says, in the last day, God says, I'll pour out my spirit upon all people. Indiana and Blairsville both say all people. All, all people, it is for all of us. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I'll pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. What he's saying is there will be a move of God's spirit that hasn't been seen before. So Peter preaches this incredible word. It's powerful. It's gripping. It captures their attention in their hearts. And then in verse 36, he says this, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. This is pretty pointed. He's saying, hey, that the Jesus that you crucified, he, he's the Messiah. You guys blew it. You guys messed up royally. You thought... He was just some false prophet, but actually he's the Messiah. Remember that, we'll come back to that in a minute. 
Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? They're begging, what do we need to do to respond? How do we make this right? And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So he says, repent and be baptized like we had people today be baptized in water, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sin. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so he makes this delineation that this is a second act, that there are two different things that happen. There's repentance and baptism. And then there's a, a second baptism to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promises to you, to your children, to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord, our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. I want to notice, if you, I want you guys to pay attention to this. If you want me to preach biblically, I've got to preach a long time because that's what Peter did. I'm so I'm sorry. I have to, it's what the Bible says. Then listen to the response, verse 41. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. That's a pretty good first day of a church plant, right? A church opens and they add 3,000 people. How did that happen? The power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit draws unbelievers. This is what he does. Encourages the church, draws unbelievers. And how does he draw unbelievers? By revealing God's glory. See, we're carrying God's glory. We are vessels of God's glory. We carry God's glory. We reveal that glory to the people we come into contact with. So I want to remind you, Luke chapter 22. So if we go back chronologically, less than two months from this point, when Peter is preaching and he says, this Jesus whom you crucified. So two months, less than two months before this, Jesus has been arrested in the garden. He's taken to the home of the high priest. And while they're trying Jesus, Peter is out in the courtyard. And in this time, Luke chapter 22, a woman comes up to him and says, hey, aren't you, aren't you the one that was with Jesus? He said, no, no, that wasn't me. And he does that two more times, denies Christ three times. And scripture records in Luke chapter 22 that the third time he denied Christ, the, the cock crowed and immediately he made eye contact with Jesus. That's hardcore, isn't it? He felt shame and disappointment in himself in that moment. So the question is, why did he deny Christ? Well, he denied Christ because he was scared of the consequences. What's going to happen? If they can do this to Jesus, what would they do to me? Now, rationally, there's some translations that say it was a little girl. This little girl says, aren't you? He's like, no, 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 that's not me. He was scared. He was afraid. He was timid. What are they gonna do to me if they know I'm with him? I, I don't want that. No, thank you. And then we fast forward and he's saying, this Jesus whom you crucified. So what's the difference? And the difference is baptizo. We talked about this last week. There is a recipe uh, from, from about 200 BC from a Roman poet and author. And he talks about, he has a recipe for pickles and he talks about what you do to the cucumber in order to make it a pickle. And we talked about this process and this process, he used the word baptizo. Bapto, to dip it in boiling water, but baptizo is what you do when you flood it with a solution that fundamentally changes it. And so last week I was at the grocery store and a guy is there and he had pickles and he said, my wife sent me out for pickles and I asked her, do you need cucumbers or pickles? And he said, I was listening to your sermon. And I was like, you were listening to the sermon, good job. 
You need a bonus points for that. But there's a fundamental difference between these two things. The difference is baptizo. One is flooded with the solution, saturated. It fundamentally changes it. So what happened to Peter to move him from being this timid, weak man who couldn't stand up to a little girl to a man that was facing down the crowds and saying, you people, this Jesus that you crucified, it was the power of the Holy Spirit. He was changed. He wasn't the same man. He was transformed. And this is what we are invited into. So let's get to Acts chapter three. Acts chapter three. Peter and John are gonna go to the temple. They're going to the temple as they do. This is their custom. They're going for the three o'clock prayer time and they're on their way. They go by the gate beautiful and there's a man there that's there every day. He's a lame beggar. Scripture says lame from birth. And he says, hey, do you have any change? And I'm gonna say it in the King James. Peter says, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you today. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, get up and walk. And he grabs him by the hand. He picks him up. He walks. He's healed. It's miraculous. Scripture doesn't say he's dancing, but you have to believe this guy was probably dancing a little jig, don't you think? He's never been able to walk before, and now he can walk. He's changed. And I don't know this for sure, but the chances are he probably wasn't going into the temple often because people weren't bringing him in there. So he goes into the temple for worship. And then this is where we'll pick it up in verse nine. Verse nine of Acts chapter three. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was a lame beggar that they'd seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement at, uh, to Solomon's colonnade, Solomon's porch, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. They were amazed. I can imagine some of them like, this guy's acting weird. I'm like, wait a second. That's the guy that's been begging at the beautiful gate for years. How much money have I given this guy? And he is faking the whole time. I'm gonna kill this guy, right? Like, no, no, he's healed. This is, they were astounded. They marveled and they went to figure out what was the answer to this? And remember what I said, a powerful move of God, a move of the spirit will draw unbelievers. Unbelievers were drawn in this moment. They were saying, what is the meaning of this? Tell us what's going on. How has this happened? I love it. See, they were just going about their normal everyday life. They were just doing normal things. They were going to the temple for prayer. The man was doing his normal thing. He got help being set out by the beautiful gate. It was his normal day. He was going to beg as he did every day. Peter and John were going to pray as they did. Down there, this is part of their normal routine. The people that were already there, that was just normal for them. And then what God does is he shows up. God's glory shows up and it wrecks their normal. And I am telling you today, God wants his glory to disrupt your normal life. And you like your normal life. I like my normal life. It's comfortable and it's known. It's pleasurable at times. I know my life, I like my life. And when we say God's gonna disrupt your normal life, we're uncomfortable with that. Because what does that mean? What's that gonna cost me? What's that gonna look like? Do you think any of these people whose normals were disrupted were upset about it? Do you think the, the man who was healed, he's like, oh my gosh, I'm healed. And then he's like, I gotta find a job. Great. No. 
he was probably thrilled to find a job because he'd been lame. When God's glory interrupted and disrupted his normal, he didn't mind. Do you think Peter and John were like, man, we were heading for prayer and now we gotta stop and pray for this guy and he's gotta be healed. Now we're walking around, he won't let us go. No, they didn't care. What about the people that were astounded? They came out like, what is going, do you think they cared? No, they got to see something incredible happen. Their faith was encouraged in that moment. But God wants his glory to disrupt our normal lives. The question is, will we let him? Will we say, God, whatever you wanna do, God, let your glory disrupt and invade my life. God, I, I want you to wreck my normal for your glory. Whatever that looks like, whatever it costs me, I'm okay with that. So these people are asking, how did this happen? In verse 12 of Acts chapter three, Peter saw his opportunity and addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we made this man walk by our own power or godliness? He just jumps into his sermon. He's ready. Did you notice he didn't have to go prep? He didn't have to go pray. He didn't have to go read scripture. I mean, he had one in the chamber. It was ready to go, right? This is the same guy who wasn't ready to talk to a little girl about his relationship with Jesus. And now he's preaching. He's ready. Why? Baptizo. So he preaches this incredible message. It's powerful. It's recorded in Acts chapter three. He preaches the house down. Boldness, authority, power. And then we get to Acts chapter four, verse one. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there was a resurrection from the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, they put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard the message believed it. So the number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000. 5,000. It's incredible. God's moving. God's spirit is at work. So these men, the next morning, when they bring them in, they talked to them and said, who, who do you think you are? Whose authority do you have to preach what you're preaching? Then in verse eight of Acts chapter four, it says, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. It makes a special note. He's filled with the Spirit. And what it's implying is this is what's giving him the ability to do what he's about to do because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done good deed for a crippled man? Do you wanna know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in scriptures where it says, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the chief cornerstone. There is no salvation, uh, there's salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. He was saying this to men who had the legal right to take his life for preaching this heresy, heresy according to them. He was preaching it boldly. And again, he pointed out this Jesus whom you crucified is now known as the Messiah. He is the one you waited on. He, he's the one that you've overlooked. He was filled with the spirit. 
Listen to verse 13. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. I like the way the English Standard Version reads it. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they'd been with Jesus. They see these guys and they're going, how are these guys communicating this so clearly? And their knowledge is so deep and I don't understand how does this happening? Because these guys are not smart, okay? I've talked to you about this, these words before. I love the words uh, for uneducated common men. The words are agramatos and idiotes in the Greek. Agramatos and idiotes. And they mean literally illiterate and untrained. They, and the word idiotes is where we get in the English language the word idiot. So what they're saying is, how are these guys doing this? They are idiots. And some of you think God can't use me. Can, can I help you with this? Are you at least an idiot? That appears to be the minimum standard for God. If you're an idiot, if you're below an idiot, I don't even know what to tell you. I'm not sure. But these guys were idiots. God can use anyone, anyone, as long as they are submitted to him. As long as their hearts are open and say, God, whatever you want, I want. God can use any idiot, even this idiot. Any of us, he can use. They marveled. Why did they marvel? They, they marveled because they were ordinary men with no special training, but they'd been with Jesus. This is the key. Our affection for Jesus drives us to be near him, close to him, walk with him. So at this point, they couldn't punish them. They couldn't release them. They were going back and forth. They finally released them, but they basically said, don't do that again. They were like, well, we'll see about that. Verse 23 says this, as soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer. So they hear the report. So Peter and John come back and they say, guys, I got bad news because there is opposition against what God wants to do. And there is opposition, they're pushing back. So bad news. And it says they lifted up their voices together in prayer. So they prayed together. And the word together is the same word we used last week, homothumadon, that we'll talk more about next week, the same spirit or same passion. So they prayed with one heart together and they prayed this prayer. Listen to this powerful prayer they prayed. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant saying, why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with feudal plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against the Messiah. See, David knew, hey, God, these people have plans, but my God is bigger than their plans. There's opposition, but my God is bigger than this opposition. And so they're praying this prayer. God, we wanna remind you who you are. We wanna remind ourselves who you are. And then it says in verse 27, they continue their prayer. In fact, this has happened here in this very city for Herod and Tippus, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. So God had planned this out. So even our opposition is planned by God at times. 
Verse 29, and now, O Lord, hear their threats. Give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Did you hear what they prayed? They said, God, there's opposition coming our way. There are people that are antagonistic toward us. They're out to get us. They wanna see us fall. They didn't say, God, protect us. God, put a bubble of protection around us. Help us never have to be anywhere near those people, God. They didn't say, God, help us win the next election so everything can go smoothly. Did you hear what they prayed? God, there's opposition. Give us boldness in preaching the gospel. That's what they prayed. Give us boldness in preaching the gospel. They didn't say protect us, guard us. We don't know what we're gonna do. They said, give us boldness in speaking truth to people who need to hear the truth. They said, heal us and God, let miraculous signs and wonders go forth. Do you know what they're praying? They're saying, God, let your glory be revealed to people through the preaching of the word and through miraculous signs and wonders. That's the answer to the the issue they were facing. Can I help you with this? Our culture is broken and lost and hurting and it's looking for answers, both in the church and out of the church. We are looking for answers to places like Washington DC and Harrisburg. And we're thinking maybe government will solve our problems. Do you know what the answer to our problem is? It's the local church, the local church stepping up and saying, Jesus, we want everything you've got for us. Jesus, don't just protect us, but God, we wanna be bold witnesses in the world we live in. God, we wanna preach your gospel boldly. God, we want to see signs and wonders going out so that people will see your glory. We want the world to change, but we don't want someone else to change it. Change it through us. Use us. But we've gotten so comfortable going, God, fix everything, but use somebody else to do it. Because we don't want God to disrupt our normal. We like comfort. But I'm telling you today, it is time for the church of Jesus to step up and be who God has called us to be, to walk in the faith and the boldness that God has called us to walk in so that our world can receive the gift of Jesus that it desperately needs. How is your family going to be changed? Jesus. How's our community gonna be changed? Jesus. It's not policy that's gonna fix it, it's Jesus. How's our country going to be changed? Jesus. Because I'll be perfectly honest with you, it doesn't matter who wins the next presidential election if, if we don't trust that Jesus is the one who's actually in charge and in control. It doesn't matter. Nothing will change fundamentally. What has to change is us. We have to say, Jesus, we want everything you've got for us. Now listen to the response. After they pray this prayer, they pray the prayer, Help us be bold preachers. God, let your glory advance. Listen to what happened. After this, the meeting place shook. There was a physical sign. It shook like an earthquake. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. Does that mean you're gonna pastor a church and stand on a platform and preach? Probably not. But do you know what? Your neighbor, they need the word of God preached to them in boldness. Your coworker, your spouse, your kids, they need the word of God preached to them in boldness. And I don't mean hateful and I don't mean angry. But what I mean is truth in love. 
without holding anything back. Our world needs it. The world needs the people of Jesus to be baptizo, transformed, fundamentally made different for his glory. Right now, I'm gonna turn it over to our hosts there in Blairsville. They're gonna close out our time. They're gonna give you a chance to respond. I love you guys more than you know. I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. So how does this happen? Well, it starts with Jesus, surrendering our lives to him. Just like the folks that were baptized today, and we had people baptized last night and this morning, and it's so good to see, but these are people that have said yes to him. They said, I can't keep going down the path I'm on. I need a different path. I need a savior. So we wanna give you that opportunity today. We also wanna give you the opportunity, and I'm just gonna tell you up front, I'm not gonna make it any easier on you. Uh, we wanna pray for people who want to be prayed for, for the, the filling of the Holy Spirit, because our church needs it. This community needs it. Your families need it. Um, <laughs> some of you right now, your hearts are beating out of your chest. You're nervous. You're a little scared. What is this gonna look like? And I just wanna help you with this. I said this earlier. You're not gonna do anything weird. If you don't wanna do anything, you're not gonna do anything. Okay? It's that simple. It's straight from scripture. But the Holy Spirit will work in conjunction with you if your heart is open for whatever he has for you. And so we get hung up on the nuts and bolts. What's it gonna look like? Or what am I gonna say? Or what am I gonna do? But let me just help you with this. If you simply will just say, God, I want everything you got for me. And I know you're not gonna make me do anything I don't wanna do, but God, I want everything you got for me. My heart is open and I wanna pursue that. God, make me a bold witness. God, let, let me be a vessel of your glory. God, fill me with your spirit. He'll do it. And our team's gonna be here to pray for you. And we wanna pray with you. We'll stay as long as we need to and pray with you. After service is over with, whatever we need to do, we're gonna, we're gonna take time and pray for you. And here's the thing, we're not pulling anybody out of the crowd. We're not doing involuntary baptisms in the Holy Spirit here. That's not what we do. It's like, but I don't wanna be baptized. You're getting baptized. That's not how it works. So we're gonna open up our prayer team in just a few minutes to let you guys come. And I just want your hearts to be open. I want you to be able to just say, okay, God, whatever you've got, I want that. I want more of Jesus. And if that's where it takes me, that's fine. God, disrupt my normal life with your glory. I'm cool with that. It's gonna cost me something, but it's worth it. So if you would, bow your head and close your eyes over this place. Lord, have your way with us in these next few moments. Be glorified through us. I pray that, God, our hearts would be fully surrendered to you, that there would be nothing we hold back and that you'd be glorified. And with nobody looking around, your head bowed, your eyes closed. If you'd say, Mel, I know I'm not really following God. I'm not in a relationship with God, but I wanna be. I wanna know his goodness. I wanna know his power. I wanna know what it means to be adopted as a son or daughter, just like the folks that were baptized earlier today. I'd love to pray for you. And if you wanna be included in that prayer to surrender your life to Jesus, would you put your hand up real high where I can see it? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks, buddy. Thank you, ma'am. On my left, I see you. Who else would say, that's me, pray for me, Mel. Yeah, thank you. A couple hands on my right in the center section, I see you. Yeah, thank you. Another hand on my left, praise God. Anyone else? Just a few more seconds. Yep, thank you, I see you. Thank you. Romans chapter 10, verse nine says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And so we're gonna pray a prayer together. I'm gonna give you the words to say, but this is not my prayer, this is your prayer. So I'm just gonna ask you to pray this prayer from your heart to God. We're all gonna say it together, whether you raise your hand or not, we're gonna pray this prayer as one church. Let's say this together. Heavenly Father, thank you 
for sending Jesus, your one and only son, to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From this day forward, my life is surrendered to you. Use me for your glory and help me never go back to my old ways or my old life. But from now on, I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give God a round of applause today, can we? Listen, if you prayed that and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, Scripture says you're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. We wanna help you take the next step. So if you would take one minute, you can fill out the, the card that's in the seat back in front of you and then take it to our next step table. It's out in the lobby by the main doors uh, when we finish here in just a moment. Or if you'd prefer, if you're watching online, you can simply text Summit PA to the number 94,000 and let us know about your decision that way by selecting the prompt that says salvation. So let us know and we're gonna respond back to you. And we're gonna help you take the next step. But please, even if you respond that way, stop by and let one of our pastors talk to you. They're gonna be there at the next step table to help you take the next step. Here's what's gonna happen right now. Pastor Kendall's gonna lead us in a final song. We're gonna worship together during this last song. And I really wanna encourage you today, if you're here and, and you sense that God is drawing you, you have a desire to be filled with His Holy Spirit, you know that there is something you have left on the table that you wanna experience all God's got for you, we would love to pray for you, we'd be honored. And, uh, and our team's gonna be here, some of our staff, some of our prayer team to pray for you during this final song. And even after we dismiss in a moment, if you wanna make your way forward, our team will be here to pray for you and help you take the next step and everything God's got for you. So why don't you stay in your feet? Let's worship together one more time before we go today, guys. I tell you often, and I hope you know, I mean it sincerely, I love you more than you know. I am so honored I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys. Have an awesome day. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcast.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to Summit Podcasts, and we will see you in the next episode.